Hi, this is Dave Dutton of Dave's Voice Works and Radio Guy Reflections and TurnbuckleTrash.net. Two great podcasts, one about professional wrestling and one about radio. And it's all on Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, here's a great way to make a podcast. Use Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast because, hey, it's free. And they give all the creation tools that allow you to record and edit any podcast you'd like to do right from your computer. Use Anchor. Anchor, the best way to podcast and the best way to listen to Turnbuckle Trash or Radio Guy Reflections. This is Radio Guy Reflections. 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 So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say, give it to me straight, doctor, I can take it. Here's a complete disc jockey show with all the modern pace of today's exciting radio. So you guys hear anything good on the radio lately? On November the 2nd, 1920, the first radio station, KDKA of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, signed on the air. Over the years, radio has changed from radio dramas and live performances to the age of the disc jockey. From the man many believe popularized the term rock and roll, Alan Freed, and legendary radio personalities like Wolfman Jack, Dick Clark, Charlie Tuna, Don Imus, and the men who made talk radio what it is today, Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, Sean Hannity, and Glenn Beck. Hi, I'm Dave Denton. I'm a radio guy, and even went by that name on the air in Missouri. I'm a radio veteran who started spinning records in 1974 and have seen the industry change from 45s to LPs, carded music, CDs, and now music on hard drives. In this podcast, we'll take a look back not only at my career, but other men and women who have worked in radio entertaining you. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Radio Guy Reflections is brought to you by DaysVoiceWorks.com. Remember when you spell works, it's W-O-R-X. Check out radio air checks, commercial production, and what others have to say about DaysVoiceWorks.com. Spell works, W-O-R-X, and let Dave's voice work for you. Past editions of Radio Guy Reflections have included an owner and operator of a radio station in Thailand who was part of radio history when he was on the pirate radio ships in Great Britain. We've also had an owner-operator in Western Canada, a talk show host in Richmond, Virginia, and we've also had a program director, talk show host in Salt Lake City, and a member of the Texas Radio Hall of Fame. That's just some of the guests we've had on Radio Guy Reflections, and past editions are available on many of these same platforms that you're listening to Radio Guy Reflections. Today we are joined by a good friend of mine and who did mornings with me at WTPR in Paris, Tennessee. I won't tell you when because we're both getting older. 
and I was the program director. He was the news director, and I'm not just trying to butter him up, but he was just one of the best newsmen I ever worked with. After radio, he became a reporter for his hometown newspaper, the Paris Post-Intelligencer. Let's say hi and welcome to Radio Guy Reflections to my good friend, Ken Walker. Hey, Ken. Hey, hello, David. Uh, do have to point out right off the bat here, you do know that works is not spelled with an X, right? Well, I spell it that way. <laughs> but, you know, that's why we have spell check, right? <laughs> yeah, I had to notice that because part of my job now at the newspaper here in Paris is to be copy editor. Ooh. So I'm catching things like that all the time. So well, I'm, you, you know I'm afraid my... I've become a little bit anal about, uh, you know, grammar and spelling and things like that. When my wife was working for Utah State University, she was very much involved in in uh, some of the uh, commencement exercises. And, you know, those big programs that they put out at commencement exercises for all the, the graduates? Uh-huh. Uh, she would have to proofread those three or four times. And she was always finding something. Every time she'd go through it, find something uh-huh. different. So, yeah, yeah she, she'll, <laughs> she'll like to know that you're doing that kind of thing. And by the way, I might be able to speak the English language, but writing it, no, that's not one of my four <laughs> And by the way, I am buttering up uh, because I really did. I really do think you were one of the best news people I ever worked with, Ken. That, well, I appreciate that is no that, joke, huh? man. So, I uh, appreciate that. And I wound up staying in it for years. You know, yeah, you have. And, in either medium. And, uh, you know, I guess that's what I was meant to do. Yeah, I think that's going, we're going to have a, a lot of fun discussing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit why. And how you got started in news. And, you know, I know you had to have that kind of that idea when you were graduating from Henry County High School. Well, actually, when I was in college, uh, in high school and in college, uh, I was leaning towards a sports career. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously really loved sports always and uh, got involved in sports information when I was at college at Murray State University. Uh, go Racers, by the way, mm-hmm. at the time we're taping this, they're in the NCAA basketball tournament. Good. Uh, and uh, that's what I thought I was going to do. When I went to work at uh, the University of Kansas for a while, um, I figured out that that really wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wanted to do something. That, it seemed a little uh, frothy and flighty to me to be just worried about doing PR for athletes, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that kind of steered me back towards doing something a little more meaningful, maybe. And in news, you can you can do that. You can make a difference. Um, what I found out in doing news over the years, especially at the newspaper, is that uh, what you write matters to people. You know, that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing sometimes. Uh, but it does matter. So that's kind of why I got steered towards that the news angle. And by the way, before we get too much into this, we got to admit that uh, my cousin, Kevin Bowie, uh, and, and Brenda Bowie, my, my sister, Judy Denton, all live in Paris right now. And that's how we got connected on Facebook again, because Kevin uh, was connected to you on that. And I'm so glad uh, that I could get back in touch with you again Oh sure. on yeah. Facebook. And Kevin's uh, my best friend since uh, elementary school. Yeah, you so. used to play Lost in Space together. Is that correct? <laughs> we used to watch it we yeah. used to watch it every afternoon yeah I remember uh, when they were in reruns yeah. yeah so uh when you went to murray state and go racers once again uh you you studied more of the publicity end of sports uh and uh how to to do that and 
and uh, maybe being an SID or something like that. Is that what you were looking right. to that's do? What, that's what my goal was. I was uh, hoping to become an SID somewhere. And then uh, while I was at Kansas, which was a big time, you know, top level athletic program, it, I just kind of saw what the job would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just wasn't for me. You know, right. lots of people are really good at it and uh, enjoy, you know, uh, pumping up the athletes and writing nothing but good things about them. Uh, I wanted to be a little more objective about things, mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. think. So that's to do that. You, you become a news reporter. So, right. you know, and I, I really, I was thinking about this over the last 24 hours. I can't remember if Kevin introduced us uh, when I had a job opening at WTPR or if you came in and made it, uh, made an appointment. I don't know if you remember that or not. Mm, I think, you were working you were working there already right. when i got the job mm-hmm. uh, so and kevin if i remember right kevin is the one who told me about the opening yeah and i'm and, sure he'll take all the credit in the world for it well yeah <laughs> yeah that would follow the form uh, that <laughs> we've come to know over decades <laughs> well the but good it th- out well. i enjoyed it i didn't enjoy the morning shift but i enjoyed no you did morning. not so I guess for about a year or so that you and I were doing this morning show uh, together, you I concentrated more on the announcing end. I, like I said, I was the program director, and you were the next news director. But uh, the way things were set up, you could do your newscast right next to your typewriter. I mean, we had typewriters then, not word processors or computers. Yes. And uh, so there was a big room in between us. But the rapport that you and I came to – together i thought was really good and i thought the uh, the community of paris really embraced us for that uh, year or so that we worked together it was it was a lot of fun yeah we had an opportunity to to you know speak as normal human beings after my newscast was over <laughs> <laughs> and we got to actually talk yeah. so you know and i always thought good. yeah i always thought one of the best things that we ever did was during the baseball season of course we're both big st louis cardinal baseball fans and we would have a lot of fun uh, with the Chicago Cubs and their broadcast <laughs> team, <laughs> the broadcast team of Harry Carey and Steve Stone. Now, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know that Harry Carey, one of the best, but he had a very distinctive voice. And sometimes he sounded like he was um, sloshed to the gills. <laughs> And he probably did some day drinking. Oh, I'm sure they he were did. doing all day games still at, at Wrigley Field. Yeah, but we had so much fun because you would do this really. I don't know if you've done Harry Carey in a while, but oh no, you, no. <laughs> but but you lots you, of people do it better than me. Yeah, so. you would do the Harry, you would do the Harry Carey impression, and then I would come in and kind of do a Steve Stone impression, and my whole impression was that's right, Harry. <laughs> that's right because that's all they ever did you know oh. yeah. i mean steve stone yeah. went on to a, you know become a really good color analyst but when he was with harry carey it was just like oh. and you got to remember this is the this is the time period when the cubs were really getting popular yeah around the country because their station had just gone to a super station right format wgn so people were seeing able to see almost every cub game now on that satellite station the super station on their cable systems right. remember that uh-huh. <laughs> yeah 
And uh, when they started winning big in 1984, which is the year we're talking about, that's the year that I went to work at, at the radio station there in Paris, um, they, they won their division uh, that year. So they were becoming really popular and getting fans. So Harry was becoming really well-known nationwide for the first time. So everybody started doing the, uh, you know, well, that's baseball. Well, <laughs> that's right, and, Harry. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but I, I know that, you know. Yeah, Stoney I... was funny because Stoney had such a flat delivery. You know, he would say, you know, like, you know, well, Rick Sutcliffe is a fine young pitcher. You know, <laughs> everything was exactly uh, uh, straightforward. And, you know, well, he wasn't Cup. he wasn't out of baseball very long, so he was still trying to get his chops together there, I guess. Right, so, yeah. right. But uh, if the Cubs lose every game, that's okay with me. You know, <laughs> I can't <laughs> say I disagree. <laughs> Even to this day, there are two teams I will not root for. One's in Major League Baseball and one's in the NFL, and that's the Chicago Cubs and the Dallas Cowboys. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I know Greg listens to this podcast, and Greg, I, my buddy, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I cannot root for the Dallas Cowboys no matter who they're playing. That's just because I was a St. Louis football card. Or fan. no matter which which players they get, you still can't root for them. No, you know? can't do that. Can't do yeah. that. Yeah. So when when you worked at WTPR, I – I went on to other opportunities uh, in central Louisiana uh, is where I, I left to go to. And then we kind of lost touch a little bit uh, until Facebook became a thing. Uh, how long were you at TPR? Uh, I stayed there 10 years. 10 years? Uh, yeah, from 84 until 94. Wow. Um, which is when I left to go to the local newspaper in uh-huh. Paris. So, you know. Well, that's, a, that's quite Sometimes, a long time. Yeah, sometimes I dropped down to part-time status because I was going back to college uh-huh. uh, a couple of times, but uh, but I never stopped working there. Uh-huh. Uh, for, uh, t- Actually, let me take that back. I did move out of town for a couple of years, uh-huh. but I stayed in radio during that time. Uh-huh. I moved to Glasgow, Kentucky, uh-huh. uh, and worked for a station there because one of the owners of WTPR decided he was going to move back to Glasgow, which was his hometown, and buy a station and he offered a couple of us the opportunity to go up there and work. Uh-huh. Uh, so I went up there and stayed a couple of years and then came back. And what uh, part of Paris. Kentucky is that in? It's uh, near Bowling Green in okay. central Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. UK nice fan? little area, nice little area, but yeah. uh, inundated with UK fans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's another team. Yeah. You can't, that's uh, another bad thing. Yeah. It's yeah. another bad thing. And boy, when St. Peter's beat them, I was jumping up and down. Um, anyway, that, I mean, I know there's UK fans out there, but yeah. Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Then, then I, I'm going to ask you because I don't find this very often in the news media that you had to make that transition from being a radio news personality to becoming a news writer for a newspaper. Tell me about the differences and maybe some of the struggles you might have found making that transition from radio into the newspaper industry. All right. Well, I never, when I was coming out of college, I never thought that I would work for the Paris newspaper. I mean, my whole life growing up, that had been there. And when I was training for journalism, you know, that had been there as like, you know, you might wind up doing this sometime. And I was, I never thought I would Mm -hmm. (laughs) want to work there, want to work there or work there. Uh 
And uh, when I took the job, decided to take the job for uh, financial reasons, um, I was immediately shocked by how much I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wound up uh, writing uh, stories, news, both news story, hard, stories that we would call hard news and the feature stories that are the softer, lighter stories. Found I was pretty good at writing both types. Uh, and found that I really enjoyed working there much more than I ever thought I would. Wow. Uh, now, as far as differences, uh, for one thing, in radio, you don't do a whole lot of feature stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't get to trust yourself to go off and write kind of um, colorful or, you know, what I would say are soft, flowery stories, feel-good stories about people you don't get as many opportunities to do that in radio right um writing long uh in in newspapers as far as the hard news which i think is what you're you're comparing a little bit more there mm-hmm. yeah there's a big difference between writing because when i'm was in news in radio you have to get the headlines out there first right uh get it written quick get it said quick um, you might write uh, a story that takes you an hour to complete and takes uh, somebody five minutes to read if you write for the newspaper. And then you can take those same story, uh, same facts and write something for radio and it'll take you, you know, two or three minutes to write. <laughs> yeah. And they'll hear it in 30 seconds. Uh, after you read it on the air, yeah. um, 30 seconds or less. Uh, so that's a big difference. You know, you, you got to realize what it's important in radio to realize what the crux of the story is right away and, and get that out there. Uh, one of the best examples was when, and I know you remember this, um, I had been at the radio station in Paris for maybe three weeks when we had a tornado. <laughs> a tornado came came barreling into Paris, and I was still brand new virtually. Uh, and I had to go out in the uh, middle of the afternoon and try to get some sound from the tornado and see what was going on. And they, we had, you know, massive rain blowing still, and the tornado had destroyed like a a little strip of our main shopping area in town, uh, including knocking down a grocery store, uh, rubble everywhere. Uh, and I had to report on that <clears throat> right away, excuse me, right away back at the radio station. So that was a classic example of, hey, get the facts out there as fast as you can. What happened? You know, who got hurt, if anybody? How badly are they hurt? And uh, what is the damage? And uh, luckily, I was able to find the Paris police chief uh, while I was at that store looking at the damage and able to get together some information but I was very inexperienced at the time. I hope I did. Okay. And oh, I think did. I did. You did and great. there were, there were, uh, actually nobody, there was nobody killed in that tornado. So I remember uh, there was at least one injury at home where a roof collapsed. And uh-huh. what I remember from that day was that I think I was in your office and we were discussing something probably joking around more than we should have. But I remember the AP machine going off, you know, as it does. Uh 
<laughs> and it was you know, a weather alert you know, for severe weather that was going to hit Henry County. Now, Henry County is in, in northern Tennessee, pretty close to the Kentucky border in northwest Tennessee. And uh, I remember it didn't say anything about tornado warnings. It didn't say anything about uh, tornado alert or anything like that. It just called about severe weather. Well, I remember getting that torn off the AP machine, and I think you went and ran a copy of that, and you went to start writing stories and getting stuff, and it was my job to take it to the two radio stations we worked at, the FM and AM, and I walked back to the FM station, and I handed it to the announcer who was on the air. I was just, as I was handing it, my left hand goes out, and the lights go out. Really? Yeah, and <laughs> I, I mean, it, and that that building didn't have any windows, man. You know, back where the studios were. You're right. Oh, it didn't. Man, yeah. it was dark, and we were locked in there. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the things you have to react to. Yeah, and then you uh, gotta you gotta throw. This was pre-internet days, so at the newspaper, when we've had a couple of tornadoes in my time there, mm -hmm. uh, in the time pre-internet. Uh, we didn't have to worry about getting a story out anywhere uh, for the newspaper. Uh, I, we were able to just go out, take, take a bunch of pictures, talk to people, and get it ready for the next day's paper. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's changed now because in modern times, you have to you have to almost treat your job at the newspaper like you're working for a radio station or a TV station. That's that 24-7 news cycle. Yeah, that, get yeah. the news out now. Um that's a, that's a huge difference from when I first went to work at the newspaper um, because we're, now we kind of are on call to get the news distributed to the, the readers right away. Yeah, uh, I remember at, when that, that tornado the, hit that we basically threw the format out the door. And, sure. Uh, we, were, we were breaking in for news. I think you were calling in or you came in, and then you and I would talk because basically the announcers we had – weren't experienced enough to be able to do an interview with you doing the news and then, you know, with me kind of pulling out other information from you, of what you had seen and, and having that conversation, which was very, very important. But uh, nowadays with that 24 hour news cycle and you got everything is on the, on the phone, you got to put that on the, the website and on your app, you got to put it on there as fast as you can. Yeah, and that's got to be a lot of pressure. A Facebook page. Oh yeah. Yes, it has changed a lot, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we just made a decision at our newspaper. In fact, that uh, has really gotten people stirred up uh, here in Paris mm -hmm. uh, for years and years and years, like my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that's years. And, and before mm -hmm. this newspaper, by the way, has been in Paris uh, since uh, I want to say the early 1900s wow um and has always been well i don't know about always but for my lifetime they've always been a, a daily paper for a while when i was a kid they were monday through saturday they printed every day uh -huh. the saturday paper was phased out years ago like 50 years ago so we've been Monday through Friday every day for that whole time. Right. And the newspaper here just recently made a decision. And in fact, this is the first week that we've gone to it. We've dropped two of the days. We're wow. now printing printing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday only. Uh -huh. 
and the readers and people are, you know, under subscribers <laughs> are uh-huh. understandably uh, curious about that and what the future is going to be and that kind of thing. But it's just a matter of news. The newspaper industry has really been hurt by social media. Yeah. Big time. Uh, and advertising is going elsewhere and newspapers aren't uh, able to sell advertising like they used to. So they've had to make cuts and that's one of the cuts. And, and so this change to three days a week is going to affect us as the news department uh, even more because we're, we're basically putting news out there on the days we don't have a paper mm-hmm. uh, now. Uh, which we never had to do before. So are you doing that on an app or a, a website? Uh, or? We, we put it on our website and we put it on Facebook. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't believe we have an app. Uh-huh. Um, we just, we we go Facebook and we go with our own website. Right. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to adjust to it. Yeah, and, but, and that's but we're be... not unique. We're not unique because the the big biggest metro paper to us, which is in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. the Nashville Tennessean, they just announced that they're dropping their Saturday edition this mm-hmm. week. Right. Uh, so I mean, it's an it's a a thing that's affecting the whole industry. Yeah, and I think it was during the pandemic in Salt Lake City, uh, two big newspapers, the Salt Lake Tribune and the. Uh, Deseret News, they actually stopped printing and went to just online. I think they are now trying to start up, if they haven't already started up, doing a couple of days a week. And Salt Lake City is no longer a small little market. I mean, oh, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like number 38 in the country uh-huh. and, uh, and and growing. So the, the face of the newspaper industry is changing <clears throat> so dramatically. The one thing that they did that I still question is they were asking for people to get subscriptions to their website. Does, does your paper do that? The PI? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We Uh sell subscriptions to our website and that allows them to read um, everything that we've got, including Uh an E edition that is pretty much a facsimile of the printed version of the paper. Right. Uh, Of course, what we throw in is, is the bonus is if you subscribe to the E-Edition uh, or if you subscribe to the print edition, you can get the E-Edition for free. All right. uh, that comes with the package. Um, you know, younger people, and I'm afraid it is a generational thing. Younger people don't don't seem to care as much about wanting, wanting to have a, a paper they can actually hold in their hand right. physically and look at it. Uh, as the older people do, the older people still want to hold that paper and, and, uh, open it up in the morning, <laughs> have their cup of coffee, uh, and see who died. Thing. Yeah. And yeah. see who died. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how many people have told me here that the first thing they do in, in our paper is go to page three, which is where our, uh, yeah. death notices are printed every day. Wow. So. Well, you know, it's, a, it's yeah. just the way things have changed in in the in the news media altogether in the past. I don't even want to say twenty years. I'm saying the last ten years. Mm-hmm. There's just been so many changes in the media, and I would say that uh, that is pretty much uh, one of the reasons why I'm no longer employed in the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but because of the changes and 
and how radio stations have changed the way they're doing things. And I'm, I'm not uh, going to get too involved in that, but you know, you, you can listen to a radio station and you, you think that that guy is sitting right there sure, in Paris, sure. Tennessee, <laughs> and that guy might be in Logan, Utah, you know, who uh-huh. knows? I know yeah, that well. go, I know I did uh, some weather forecasts for a company that would do weather forecasts for radio stations all over the, all over the country. And every morning I would get up and I'd do weather forecasts for Boston, Massachusetts. I would do weather forecasts for a couple of places in Texas. I did weather forecasts for a station in the L.A. market. Uh, there was, uh, I'm trying to remember where, where else, Montana, Alaska. I did several radio stations there. And every once in a while when I would fill in for somebody, I did uh, weather for a radio station in Waverly, Tennessee, that gets into the <laughs> Paris, Tennessee market, and you probably you know go. what I'm talking about there because I can't remember the uh-huh. name. But, right. But yeah, they 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 had a big sponsor of a restaurant there, and I'd always get a big kick because I'd always have to say, "And in Paris, the weather is," you know, and do that. <laughs> but it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. And that's the kind of the changes because it's fun. But those, how many of the listeners uh, understand that that's someone that's not there anymore right. i think the station the radio stations that uh that do that they try to disguise it as best they can oh, yeah. and they often are not successful at doing that yeah uh, i would say that social media has affected newspapers adversely uh just as much or more as automation affected radio correct uh, so oh. that's kind of this Kind of the big, the big boogeyman uh, that happened to to local workers in in newspapers was social media. Has been social media, and the same thing in radio for automation and syndication right. or satellite satellite services, right. I should say. Um, the the station that we're talking about on this podcast that you and I worked at together, uh-huh. WTPR, now in Paris. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, they get everything that goes on their air um, via satellite from Union City, Tennessee. Right. Because they are now owned by a station in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which owns a group of eight to ten stations, if, by my understanding. Two of them are Union City in Paris, and they've decided that the Union City um, air personalities should be on the air in Paris. Boy, uh, so, tough. so that's what they air in, in on the Paris stations when they're not airing national satellite programming, right? Which is what they have most of the time. And it's so, all economics, you know. You know it's all it economics. is economics. Sure, the uh, the the state of advertising is not what it used to be. Reflection. We'll have more with Ken Walker about his career and life in radio and newspaper. We'll do that after we talk about the Helping Hands Radio Auction in Henry County, Tennessee. This is how radio can really help out a small community. A fascinating interview with the president of the Helping Hands organization in Henry County, Tennessee. That's next on Radio Guy Reflections. It's the world of professional wrestling. Hi, I'm Dave Dutton. I'm one of those lifelong fans. 
Christopher Evans joins me and Zane Peterson as we talk about what's going on in the world of professional wrestling from a little bit different perspective than a lot of the podcasts out there. The following contest is scheduled for football. We know what we like, and sometimes we talk about things we don't like. You stupid idiots! You might even find a chance to laugh at some of the things we do. Who are you calling Rudy Tootie Booty? It's Turnbuckle Trash. It's available on many of these same podcast channels. Join us, Turnbuckle Trash, are also on Facebook and TurnbuckleTrash.net. We're on the radio. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say, give it to me straight, doctor, I can take it. We're always talking about radio. Radio talk. And that's the stories that we're telling. That was when radio was strong. Here is a complete disc jockey show with all the modern pace of today's exciting radio. I mean, we are a bunch of weird people. You seem to know what you're doing. I'm waiting anxiously for what happens next. This is Radio Guy Reflection. Reflection. While growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, one of my favorite trips we took as a family was when our mother would load us up in the car and we'd take the road trip north to see my grandmother, my aunt and uncle, and my cousins who all lived in Paris, Tennessee. My family was always proud of their community, and I grew up hearing stories about two yearly events. First, the world's biggest fish fry, which takes place late in April every year. And the other event was always the Helping Hands Radio Auction on WTPR, a station I eventually worked at. My relatives were and still are very involved with the auction, whether it's uh, through donating items or maybe making bids on some of these items. I was hired in the late 1970s as the news director at WTPR, and then in the 80s I came back as program director. So my roots are deep in Paris and Henry County, Tennessee. And since this podcast deals with WTPR in short, I started thinking about how unique the Helping Hands Radio Auction is. This organization, along with the help of the radio station, raises thousands of dollars each and every year that goes to different causes in communities and service organizations all over Henry County, Tennessee. And today I'm honored to talk with John Berryman, the president of the Helping Hands Radio Auction, and thanks for joining me today on Radio Guy Reflections, John. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, John, the the Helping Hands Radio Auction, uh, can we just get a little background here and kind of talk about around the time that the auction uh, started off? It started as a Helping Hand Radio Auction a little over 40 years ago. Um, it had been the March of Dimes Radio Auction up to that point, but there were six men in the community that had worked with the March of Dimes auction and they wanted to keep more of our fundraising proceeds at home in Henry County. So they developed a plan to create the Henry County um, helping hand. 
I don't know, uh, the, the men that were involved were John Caldwell, Bill McCutcheon, Bill Davis, Bill Williams, William T. Looney, and Bob Jelks. And you well, probably know some of those. Yeah, I know Bill McCutcheon. Bill McCutcheon was the one who hired me at WTPR. Yeah, I know Bill. Yeah, he, I, I know Bill, too. He's the only one out of that group that I really personally know. Yeah, well, tell Bill I said hi the next time you talk to him, and maybe I'll, I'll get him I'll Maybe I'll get him on the, the podcast. That would be interesting, too. Yeah. Great, yeah. great guy. So. Uh, so these these six people came up with the idea, but something like this takes a long time to put together, especially when you're dealing with so many groups, so many communities, and so many service organizations. Let's talk that you just got through with an auction, and now we did. Uh, yeah, and you're probably already planning for next year, aren't you? Yes, um, we we've still got some uh, housekeeping to do. We'll still need to distribute the funds from this year's auction and uh, we'll um, um, we'll have two more meetings this year to to settle up the the auction proceeds and close out the books for 2022 and then we'll start working on next year's it's such a unique event in radio uh at wtpr that i've never heard of any i've heard of the march and dimes auctions and then of course saint jude does radio auctions all over the country but nothing like what happens in Henry County because this auction doesn't take place of one or two Saturdays or maybe for a week. It actually goes for, Ken told me, two months? Yeah, eight, eight full weeks. Um, wow. we, we started uh, January 10th and finished up uh, the first week of March. It was, uh, it, it was quite the event. We were, uh, we were really surprised at uh, how well we did this year. That, that's fantastic. So how many people are directly involved with your organization, the Helping Hands? Gosh, there's, there's dozens. Everybody's a volunteer. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a 15-member board of directors who are elected in groups of five. Um, each person is from a different part of the county so that we can help ensure equal geographical representation throughout wow. the county. And each board member serves a three-year term. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm rotating off the board this year but I plan to continue to uh, volunteer in other ways. So how many different organizations are involved? I mean, uh, I, I know you've got all the different little communities, Prairie or Buchanan, uh, you've got Como, you, you've got all the different little communities in Henry County, and they all have their own day, do they not? They do. Um, we, you know, it takes a lot of uh, experience and and a lot of uh, work to get those all organized. This year we had 83 groups that had turned in applications for funding. But as far as groups that donate items, that each each community, each uh, you know, church, we have uh, groups from um, school groups and local other local charitable organizations, employee groups from local businesses and industries like our hospital our public utility, uh, the employees of Walmart, and lots of others. But as far as groups like that, we had approximately 160 different groups who got together to donate items for the auction. Wow, that's incredible. I know uh, since my cousins, uh, Brenda Evans and also Kevin Bowie and my sister, Judy Denton, all are involved in one way or the other. I think Brenda always does some wonderful baked goods, and Kevin's also a, does some good, uh, you know, he probably smokes some meats. You know, he's a very good cook, too. And 
And my my sister told me she helped out uh, with answering the phones and helped uh, Brenda with some of those baked goods. So you've got not only the organizations, but individuals. There are many, many people that are involved in Helping Hand. Um, I'd like to mention a, a few of them. Susan Bell has served as treasurer for Helping Hand for many, many years and does a ton of work to make sure that applications for funds are available and properly received. And she oversees the disbursement of funds and establishes uh, a baseline based on how much each group has requested. She goes over the worthiness of the request and recommends to the board how much of our budget, how much of our funds that we've raised should go to each each group. Uh, Mary Kate Ridgeway has served as the board treasurer for probably an equal amount of time. Um, she keeps the meeting minutes and she kept me straight on my parliamentary procedure during uh, board meetings this year because mm-hmm. that is not a strong suit of mine. <laughs> um, we have uh, many more volunteers who are essential um, to our success. Martha Stewart has been there probably as long as Susan Mary Kate. She runs the office during the auction. She she really keeps track of everything that's going on while the auction is happening. Um, we have you know, a group of five or six retired professionals who come in and take turns working in the office to help keep the sales receipts recorded and make sure that those totals balance with Mar- Martha's uh, receipts. And this year, we had seven volunteer auctioneers. Um, and if I can, I'd like to name them there. Sure. Andy Collins, Ray Compton, Noel Hatman, David Jackson, Jamie Orr, Junior Staggs, and Darren Thompson. They're all from different backgrounds. One's a banker. We've got a doctor. One of them, one of the seven is actually a professional auctioneer. And uh, we've got a financial advisor, a teacher and radio personality, an insurance agent, and a, a fellow from a local car dealership. Wow. We, that's just the auctioneers. We have to have a, we have a table, a panel that works with the auctioneer during each auction. And those panels are comprised of, People from groups like the Lions Club, Kiwanis, uh, Athena Delphians, they take turns answering the phones and recording the bids at the auctioneer's table. But, uh, it takes a lot of people to uh, to make it happen. And uh, Susan Hayes and Anita Wagner are uh, two that organize the daily volunteers, the people that will take the items from people's cars and organize them into what we call a slate it's a, a table a slate is a table of 10 items we auction auction 10 items at a time and so they'll they'll organize and make sure that we've got all the volunteers we need to write descriptions of the items and organize the items and sort the items and put them in coolers if necessary and it just takes a a, a lot of people wow that, that's absolutely you know having helped with doing some of these things in montgomery city missouri and a little bit uh, here in Cache Valley, uh, it, it is not an easy thing to do. But it, you know, they say a lot of hands make easy work. But it's not easy work. It makes makes it easier and not quite as not quite as hectic. Because I know that's got to be unreal. We're, we're very fortunate to have so many people willing to volunteer their time. Um, I, I'd say in the mornings we probably have at least uh, twelve to fifteen people working writing up the tickets every morning and uh, it takes uh i don't know i i didn't really put the number down but i'd say we have 25 people a day volunteering wow so 
So what time of the day do you do the auction on WTPR? Well, the uh, the auction starts at 1230 um, during the week and 12 o'clock on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And it runs until 5 or you know, on, day, on light days when we don't have as many uh, slates to sell. It, it'll uh, end earlier. But we start accepting items at 7 in the morning. So we, we accept our donated items from seven until nine and then it takes uh, a couple hours to get everything ready get pictures made uploaded on the facebook this was the first year that we attempted posting a picture of every auction item on facebook wow that takes a little time too yeah and, and uh your uh and kevin Bowie was a big part of that he helped uh, a lot we wouldn't have been able to do that without him uh, he's all he's very involved in that community as as all of my relatives always were my aunt and uncle uh james Brent Bowie and aunt chris Bowie, they were always involved in the community and uh that's something i can say uh, about paris and henry county is uh the people that are there are involved in not only their high schools but their churches and in their community service organizations and when you said that the radio station you know donates the time from like uh, 12 or 12:30 until five o'clock or maybe later. Uh, right. But that radio station has a huge listening sh- listenership during that time frame. Cause I remember when I was there, you were always hearing the phones ring. You were always hearing the bids go up and it was entertaining radio at that too. It is. It's it is. very entertaining radio and it just fascinates me. And I would like to just personally thank the people at uh, WTPR for showing what uh, a radio station was pretty much told to do back when they first started doing radio was to serve the community. And I can't think of a better way to serve your, your community than what WTPR allows to happen on their airwaves each and every year. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing, John. They're, they're great. We really appreciate the time that they give us. We, we think it's mutual, mutually beneficial, um, they do get a lot of listeners during that time, and uh, we uh, we really we I mean we couldn't do it without them. It's, yeah. uh, it's that kind it's of publicity very, that uh, you can't you can't buy that kind of publicity. And since it's been going no. since the seventies, it's become just uh, something that I think is very unique in the United States. I don't, I have never heard of of an auction like this being so many days and, and lasting so long, but you guys, you, you do such good work that I think that's why the community um, has just embraced this. And you talked about those six men that uh, got together, wanted to keep that money uh, closer at hand. Uh, and those are the ones right. that set, set it up for you that uh, I'm, I'm all, every time I talk to someone about this auction and I've talked to several people on radio over the years about it, they're always amazed. So uh, I wanted to ask you what type of au- uh, items are auctioned off each and every year. I know you get a lot of baked goods and and food items, uh, maybe handicrafts. What what kind of other auctions? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we we have been called a really really big bake sale, but, and <laughs> the and the and the vast majority of our donated items are food items. Uh, we get homemade cakes and pies and cookies, and, uh, complete dinner baskets. Uh, uh, an individual in one community this year donated five barbecue rib dinners complete with salad hash brown casserole bread uh, another side item i can't remember but uh they those rib dinners um the, they generated very competitive bidding 
throughout the community that people knew the man that donated them. They knew they were going to be really good. Each rib dinner brought between four and five hundred dollars a piece. So um, we also have uh, craft items donated. We have some men will build bird houses. Uh, we had a church pew from a local church that was donated this year. You know, some men had cut it down to a manageable size that could be used in your home. I, I think it brought close to eight hundred dollars. Uh, there were um, there are charcuterie boards that are made uh, home canned vegetables from our donors' gardens. You know, homemade quilts, books, and puzzles. We get uh, we get gift certificates from local businesses. Uh, jewelry made by local artisans and uh, we also get some pretty substantial monetary donations uh, this year we had uh, um, one person with the catholic church who'd uh, um, bequeathed a $25,000 donation to us uh, that was really nice um, to think of us like that um, the main items though are food items I'd say food probably makes up uh, 80 to 90 percent of all our donated items Oh, that that's incredible. When you talked about those ribs, it made my mouth water a little bit because yeah. there's nothing like West Tennessee ribs. I'll tell you that. So, John, we we were talking about uh, you had uh, a church pew that was auctioned off this year, but there's got to right. be people that have have donated very unusual items. What's an unusual item that you've seen go through? Oh gosh, well this is Tennessee, so we've had uh, live chickens, <laughs> and li other livestock. Uh, We've had actual manure to be used as fertilizer that that, uh, that was auctioned off. We've we've had a lot of other odd donations, but I got I got to tell you the the most unusual item is one that I didn't actually see. I I wasn't uh, I wasn't volunteering that year, but it, it happened a few years ago, and it's got it has become possibly the most legendary donation we've ever received. Okay, a, a local doctor donated a free vasectomy. <laughs> it was comedy gold for our auctioneer on the radio that day and, oh. and it turned into literal gold for our charity oh yeah. that's I, fantastic oh uh, we are you know we also received a certificate from an attorney for a free divorce i'm not sure if those were donated the same year or if one was the result of the other but uh, we have had those two things so. oh that is priceless john <laughs> that, that is so good Oh, wow. So well, you never know. I'm you never know my, what you're going to get with helping hand radio auctions. I'm trying to get my composure back here together. I are a professional radio guy. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so when you decide you, your committee gets together, where does that money go? Since you, uh, you have a board of directors that is representing so many communities, uh, who makes that, that final decision where this money goes? Well, all the money is distributed to local nonprofit groups. Um, when, when they apply, we request their 501c3 uh, status and paperwork with their application. So we, we know that these groups fit into um, a category that, that includes something like community improvement, education, uh, emergency funds. Uh, all our local volunteer fire departments request and receive money. Uh, we have uh, groups that categories that basically health and safety, youth and senior citizen groups. And we're always asked, but we don't donate directly to individuals. Um, that opens a, 
of Pandora's box that we don't want to uh, get into. But we do donate to organizations who help individuals like women's shelters and food banks. Mm-hmm. So, well, that, that the board will make the final decision. But um, Susan Bell does a lot of the work to uh, to determine worthiness and and need. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, with the individuals, you would be opening up a can of worms. And so I fully support that. So uh, let's talk about this year's auction. Uh, you went from January to to March. And uh, do you know what the final totals of the money raised this year alone? This year alone, we raised $380,460. That is incredible. <laughs> That's the world's largest really bake sale going along, the world's largest fish fry. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that That's is right. unreal. So was that a record for 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 a year? Was it close to a record? Yeah, yeah. We uh, our twenty twenty auction finished just before the pandemic set in, and so we had a normal auction in twenty twenty, and we beat the total um, from twenty twenty by a little more than a thousand dollars, which was amazing because we really didn't think we'd be able to do it. Uh, we when we scheduled our um, auction time. COVID numbers were fairly low, but about two weeks before the uh, auction was to start, COVID numbers started to spike. And so we had to meet with our, uh, some representatives from our local medical community. And we made the decision as a board to uh, forego our normal in-person auction, uh, which generates a lot of bids. Um, And instead we only broadcast the auction over the radio. And that, that was the, that's what forced us uh, into posting pictures of every auction item this year, which was something new for us. We'd never done, but it was crucial to get that done uh, so that people could see what they're bidding on. Yeah. And, you know, everybody had to make uh, adjustments to anything they were doing during the, uh, the pandemic. And I know Henry County was hit pretty hard. I think all of my relatives came down with COVID at one time or another, knock on wood. I was lucky enough not to get it. So. Well, the majority of our um, volunteers, our daily volunteers, are older, retired people, and yeah. some of them have uh, compromised immune systems, and so mm-hmm. we had to we had to take every precaution we could to protect them. Yeah, I totally, one hundred percent agree. So, you're uh, getting ready to do your their final two meetings to distribute money, housekeeping, and then it's on to planning for the next year. Uh, how many times do you meet between now and say December when the holidays take over? So we'll, we'll only meet uh, a couple of times in April and then we'll meet again in uh, October to get things started for the next auction. Uh, some work will be done um, in the meantime by um, especially by Susan Bell and Mary Kate Ridgeway who, uh, and some of the people who organize the volunteers will start making calls. But that's when we really start um, in earnest is in October. And we'll have a, a final board meeting in December to uh, um, make sure that we've got everything that we need done. And it gives us about a month to, um, to fill in the gaps and, and clean up uh, anything that needs to be done. Well, John, it's a fascinating uh, situation you have, and I think a very unique situation that involves uh, a radio station, and that's what this podcast is about, radio, uh, but it involves a radio station doing something to really serve their community. And over the years, you said, I think it's 40 years now, over 40 years, 
literally right. probably well millions of dollars have been raised over the years it's yes it's I, I had good. the number I, I should have had that ready for you but it's uh it's been several million dollars since 1978 and and it stays right there in that community and that's that's the thing right that here just, every, yeah it's unreal it's just unreal every dollar goes to uh to benefit someone from our community and uh the uh the i, I don't know what i'm trying to say the uh the, the service organizations into it. yeah, yeah it's, it's just amazing it's just amazing well, uh, Paris and Henry County is a beautiful part of the country. Uh, I used to play golf quite a bit down at Paris Landing, and it was the, the best golf course I have ever been on, I'm telling you. I just <laughs> thought that was a beautiful course. And I, my heart has always uh, been a part of Paris and Henry County, even though I live in Logan, Utah now. And I am just so impressed that the, this Helping Hands Radio Auction is doing such wonderful work for their community. And, John, I thank you so much for joining us on Radio Guy Reflections. Well, thanks for having me. We'll have more with an interview with Kim Walker in Paris, Tennessee. And yes, they do have a replica of the Eiffel Tower, and they also host the world's biggest fish fry. We'll find out more about Kim Walker next here on Turnbuckle Trash. Hi, this is Dave Denton. Let my voice go to work for you. It's DavesVoiceWorks.com. Spell works, W-O-R-X. And you can hear samples of my on-air work and also some of the commercials I've done over the years. There's pictures from some of my career and more, all at DavesVoiceWorks.com. DavesVoiceWorks.com. Spell works, W-O-R-X. This is Radio Guy reflections too many people in this business who think that they're uh i guess it's a podcast their stuff doesn't stink you know it's just like <laughs> hey look we're all just enjoying the game we're all just having a good time sports are supposed to be fun don't take yourself too seriously let's go have a good time and really uh paint a great picture for the fans out there i wanted to be me i didn't want to put on a show well you know i wanted to obviously a show but i didn't want to be fake on the air um, what you what you get is what you, you know, get. That would be a fascinating career. I, I want to witness history in a way and see it and tell the compelling stories of it. Uh, when did you find out uh, he is autistic? When you get that diagnosis, it's not necessarily a shock to you, but it's validating how you've been feeling. I can't imagine what the future of talk radio could been or would have been had Rush not come along when he did. This is Radio Guy Reflections. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Helping Hands Radio Auction, which has been a mainstay in Paris, Tennessee, since the 70s, where the radio station, WTPRAM, just donates their airtime for this organization to auction off items to raise money that is used right there in Henry County. I've always been fascinated by that, and I hope I can make it part of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's an event that uh, I've never seen anything quite like it in any other place. Yeah, me too. <laughs> in any other community. Uh, it works here, uh, I guess, mainly because the people who run it have done such a great job with it. Uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of interest, though. And uh, it's been going on since the early 70s, and it, the amount of money raised uh, each year has been tremendous and always on the uptick. And, you know, people, 
Uh, people donate things from all across the community, mostly baked goods, mm-hmm. uh, but other things as well. Uh, I wondered for years, why is somebody paying 50, bidding $50 to get that uh, pie? Uh-huh. <laughs> but they do it for the good of the community. They donate, you know, the, it's an auction and people donate uh, way, way overpay for items, but the money is going to a great cause. It's because they have this whole list of, of nonprofits that they donate the money to. And if it's uh, made it's by just, my cousin, Brenda, it's worth 50 uh, bucks. Brenda makes a lot of the baked goods. Yeah, I'm she sure. does. She really <laughs> does. And Kevin always smokes some meat and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It's, uh, and they're, I mean, they're typical of the people that get involved in that. Um, it's, it's really a big success here in this town. And like I said, lots of other community communities have sent people here to try and study it. Mm-hmm and see what works uh, for it and go back to their towns so that they can do something like it. And I don't know that it's ever worked. No, (laughs) I've, I've tried to get it started in a couple of places I worked at and it was hard for us to get maybe two or three hours of programming. in. I don't know if they still do it weeks at a time, but yeah, it's uh, in, in Paris and Henry County, it's an event and I take my hats off to the organization and also to the ownership of WTPR, uh, yeah. even the new ownership that allows them to keep on doing that because that well, is you think about serving it. your you community. You think about it, one, one of the original goals of broadcast uh, mediums, radio and everything, was to serve the public. Exactly. Uh, community service. In fact, there's community service requirements, I guess, still in radio, yes, isn't there? Yep. And uh, that that does it more than anything I've ever seen. Uh, that They're doing it strictly to serve the community and and it's just a great thing here. And uh, it goes on for two months every year. Wow. I didn't know it was that long. Wow. Yeah. Every every weekday and some Saturday and Saturdays too. Um, yeah. Um, for two months. Uh, and they, I, I wish, I don't want to quote a dollar figure for what they raised this year because I don't remember it in my mind right now. But they mm-hmm. broke the record again uh, this year. Doesn't so. surprise me. But I was going to ask you about your Facebook page. Do you do you allow people to make comments on your on your Facebook page, or, and and are people responsible with what kind of uh, comments they're making on your news stories? On our news stories, we do allow comments on our Facebook page. We do have someone; it's our publisher, actually, uh, the head person, who uh, supposedly goes in there every morning and checks those comments and if there's anything out of line or um, what he deems to be uh, untrue or you know maybe particularly uh, <laughs> uh, bad language or anything right. like that right. then he re- he has the ability to remove those if he right. thinks that they're now he I don't think he has to remove very many well, good. Most, pe- most people are okay, but they'll, I mean, they'll be nasty. They'll have snarky comments. And usually we leave them on there if they're not terrible, uh, like uh, really bad about some other person or. Uh, yeah, you don't want most, to get into slander. Most of the time, most of the time if they're, you know, if they're critical of the newspaper, we mm-hmm. don't care. We'll just leave it on there. Right. But if it's critical of an individual person in the community or something, we, we might take that off. I don't know. That's up to him, but uh, uh, I think it's a, it's a good thing to let people comment on the stories. 
you have to get feedback from the community or you don't know what's what they're thinking about things. So. Yeah. But the one problem I have with what goes on on social media is it gets so cruel sometimes. It does. And <laughs> so nitpicky and not allowing someone else to have a different opinion than what your opinion would be. I try to respect everyone's opinion. I honestly do because, you know, they have different life experiences than I do. And I just wish they could see that my life experience might make me look at a certain news angle and be upset by the way it was reported because of my life experience as as opposed to their life experience, which they might be fine with it. So mm -hmm. I never try to respond to a comment very, very rarely. Uh, you know, if I make a comment and somebody doesn't like it, I just usually say, hey, more power to you. I don't care. Well, you know, <laughs> that's just... I guess what bothers me is a lot of those... Uh cruel comments are, are like knee-jerk reactions. I wish people would not jump on their keyboard immediately when they have a knee-jerk reaction to some story right? and start typing right away. I wish they would think about it for a little bit before they did that. Yeah, that uh, keyboard courage, isn't it? Yeah, probably one of the worst uh, examples we've had, or I don't know if worst is the word, but extreme examples we've had. Probably two years ago, I, I would guess. Uh, I don't know. Your your listeners probably don't know that Hank Williams Jr., the country music superstar, mm -hmm. live, lives in our county mm -hmm. here that Paris is located in. And um, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, hit, one of his daughters was killed in a traffic accident oh. uh, here. Her name was Katie, Katie Williams. She was a terrible thing. Uh, 20, mid twenties and died in a, in a traffic accident. Uh, being a newspaper, we of course reported this and had somebody take a photo of the crash scene. And when that went on the internet, boy, you would think we had, uh, turned into the devil himself. Um, you shouldn't be printing these things about poor Katie and boy, Hank jr. Is not going to like that. You're putting this stuff in here about Katie and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, what are we supposed to do? We're a newspaper, and she she was famous. Right. Uh, at least in the community, she was famous. Uh, and nation, nationwide, she was famous because she was Hank's daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody in the nation reported on it eventually. Uh, we were the first ones to have the story just because of our proximity to, to it happening. And boy, you would have thought we were just awful because we reported that she got killed in a traffic accident. Well, that brings up a, a question so. uh, as you were talking about that. I thought about this when I was uh, talking with Art Rascone, and Art uh, recently retired as a TV news anchor in Houston, Texas at ABC, the ABC affiliate there. And I had known Art for several years. I actually had worked with him in Rexburg, Idaho, and gave him his first job in radio. And we talked about how, as a news person, how difficult it is sometimes to go up to someone who's having probably their worst day of their life and in such an emotional state, how difficult it is as a news person to come up with that question that is respectful, but also getting that information. And what you might think is respectful, somebody else as reading that article or listening to a newscast doesn't find it as respectful as you meant it to be. And that's got to right. be really tough, especially in your industry and, and newspaper. 
It is difficult. Uh, luckily, in newspapers, we can uh, interview those people or ask them questions away from the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we write the responses uh, later. What's really the people that are in a bad spot there are, are TV or, or radio reporters that are live or something like that. Right. You know, uh, they're in a really tough spot. Uh, but I've certainly had situations where I've had to ask people uh, things I didn't want to ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a guy, just as a human being, I didn't want to ask them. Uh, but you, you do your job. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and I know I know you are a very caring person from our time of uh, working together at WTPR AM and FM, uh, and you were always very kind uh, to anybody that was around. And I think it comes from your upbringing, you know, when especially in that part of the South, you were taught to be respectful when you were growing up, at least when we were growing up, right? Uh huh. <laughs> you said yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Are you got a little uh, slappy, slappy? You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so uh, it was. Go ahead. Uh yeah, it's it's changed a lot. I mean, this may not be relevant to to newspapers or our discussion right now, but boy, you see a, a difference in generations, don't you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the younger kids now, you wonder sometimes what kind of upbringing they're getting, but. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, certainly that doesn't apply to everybody. I, I know there are good parents out there that uh, are working now, working real hard to to bring their kids up right. But uh, well, boy, I'm gonna, you see, go you ahead. see some of the some of the results these days, and you wonder. Now, I'm going to tell you this. And I don't know if I put it on my Facebook page. I just can't remember. But I thought of you when when I saw this last week. I think I was. We found a, a TV show that I think it was on the ID network that had to do with private investigators. And this show featured Henry County and a murder of missing woman uh, who is missing from the Como area. Those okay. kind of stories are very, very difficult uh, to report on uh, because of, of all the rumors that go around. And as I was watching this private investigator being followed around by a news crew. I, I could just imagine, I don't know if you followed that story or not, or if you know what I'm talking about, but I, I, I thought of you having to be out there and asking the questions of the family and sure. maybe of the, the sheriff's department or the investigators and trying to find out what, and at that point, I know it's like, what can we do to assist in finding this person? alive or finding their remains. I know that's got to be really tough. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in that regard, we follow the lead of the, the law enforcement departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they'll tell us, we, you know, we have such good relationships in a, in a town this size, we have good relationships with those people. And right. uh, they'll uh, reach out to us and try to get us to uh, help out in a certain way. And we'll, we'll try to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in cases similar to the one you're talking about, I mean, we have a lot of experience here. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean me, I uh, have a lot of experience uh, dealing with uh, family members of people that have been involved in things, mm-hmm. um, whether it's been a death, uh, maybe it's a family member of the, the person who was killed, or a disappearance like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a family member or a uh, victim of a crime, the family members uh, all come around and they all want you to write the story 
from their point of view. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's the tough part about things like that. Uh, they don't understand that we have to go then ask other people, you know, what what they think happened on something. You know, they want it all out there from their side, but they don't necessarily like it when we go and put information in from the other side. And that's where uh, the important part is, is is quoting your sources, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah. that. Uh, we had a death here. A few months back, uh, there was a kid who was a, a mentally handicapped, mentally challenged uh, kid who was attending a vocational school here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died, unfortunately, when he got, uh, he was riding in the back of a pickup truck at the vocational school. School mm-hmm. had just ended. Yeah. And some of the boys from the school were riding over somewhere to do something. And, and this individual was in the back of the pickup truck. And apparently the driver of the truck slammed the brakes on real quick, kind of like, you know, boys roughhousing kind of thing. Well, I'm sure you did it when you were a kid, you know, drive down the road and just do all kind of stupid stuff. Uh Uh, And the mentally challenged boy fell out the back of the truck and died, hit his head and died and that's been kind of a weird story here because it never got into the the crime reports here because it wasn't considered a crime by the people involved and the officers involved. Uh, they weren't called to the scene. Uh, they only found out about it when the, the, the boy who was killed, his family got involved uh, from another county because he lived in another county. And then the family started calling other media, calling media too, including us. And um, it's just been a big mess. They finally wound up charging one one of the other boys with a crime. Uh, but that's a, a typical situation. The family of the deceased is would really like us to write more about uh, how bad, how evil that was that those boys did that. You uh-huh. know, and we have to we kind of have adopted the philosophy that we have to wait and see what happens in, in court and things like that. Right. And, you know, well, you know, a personal, it's just tough. a personal, uh, affront to this is just me personally. I find it, uh, and I've always found it difficult to name someone who was being charged with a very bad crime that could affect the rest of their lives if they didn't do it. And, uh, you know, uh, let's just say it was a sexual abuse case and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and not saying, and it's a terrible thing. And man, I tell you what, there's nothing that gets my, my goat. than when I had to, to do news and I did news in Paris, uh, in uh, Missouri, and also a little bit here in Utah. Uh, but nothing gets my goat when I hear something like that. But every once in a while you hear of somebody who's accused, and for some reason or another, they weren't the ones to do it, but how it affects their lives is always something I struggled with. Uh, There was a teacher in a community just north of Salt Lake City where he was accused of doing some very bad things with some of his students, and then the students reneged about six months later, and his life has never been the same. He can't get a teaching job, you know, and... That's the kind of thing that I just would prefer 
to try not to say who it was. And I know a lot of people are in their thought that they you know, got to name names, but man, it just, it's really hard for me to, to say that. I don't know what you feel about that. And that's another thing that social media is uh, affecting too now in a negative way, because the stories that were written about this, this fella are still on the internet. Yeah. They're going to be out there forever. Mm-hmm. And somebody who searches this guy's name now might find the stories where he was accused and never find the story back in the old files of where he was exonerated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's yeah. why I'm, I stand by my statement uh, that I tell people all the time. The greatest invention in our society over the last 200 years has been the internet. Mm-hmm. And the worst invention in our society over the last 200 years has been the internet. Agreed. Uh, let, let me just throw in a little personal story here. Okay. Now this one's personal. Several years ago, the radio stations I worked with came up with a news site called cashvalleydaily.com. And there was a very serious news story that happened just north of where I live uh, in another small community. But the person who was arrested and charged with a very serious crime his name was David Denton. And there were people contacting CashValleyDaily.com saying, oh, yeah, he's the, the morning guy on Cool 103.9. <laughs> well, I was freaking out, you know, thinking my friends are going to see this, and I know I didn't do it, but he uh-huh. shared my name. And they actually rewrote the story and put it in there. This in no connection is with the Dave Denton on Cool 103.9, which I greatly appreciated. Thank right. you, Will, by the way. Uh, but that's why I have problems with uh, with yeah. names and stuff. So well, even in our even in our smallish community here, that happens because we have people with the same name. Right. Actually, there there was another David Denton in Paris when you were here. Yes, there was. <laughs> yes, yes, there was. And he owns like, a restaurant. He owns a restaurant here now. He's got to be a relative. I mean, that's do with food. <laughs> Dave's all right. <laughs> that's awesome. I like that. Well, the way our paper has always dealt with that is uh, that we've always tried to put uh, the accused person's <laughs> age and address right. in the paper. And if the other person who has that name is well-known enough in the community, mm-hmm. we have been known to put in a statement like you talked about. Uh, uh, this is not the same uh, so-and-so John Smith who lived or works at commercial bank or something right. like that. That's, you know. good. That's good. That's good to hear. Unfortunately, the uh, Tennessee legislature has made that harder for us now because they've sent down a state law uh, that is, uh, has tightened up the uh, crime reports. So when we get a crime report now, they don't give us the age and address on people. Whoa. Or they, I'm sorry. They do give us the age still. They don't let us use the address anymore on people who are arrested. Wow. Uh, and that affects us. Uh, we have a Republican-controlled ma- majority here, and they mm-hmm. they decided that that was something that they wanted to do. And now we can't report somebody who's arrested. We can't report their address. Whoa. So <laughs> it's scary times that we live in. Uh, so, so Ken, uh, I, I wanted to, to go back to when you and I were working together. We're both big music fans, both big sports fans, and I think that's why. We got along so well, but we also worked with some very good people. I, I know that 
I think you told me that she had passed away. We had Paula, who was working with me in the yeah. in, in the office. She, she was, was the so good. Director. Yeah, she yeah. was so good at her job, and she took a lot of ribbing from you and I. But boy, <laughs> she she gave it back. And 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 uh, you know, I just I thought the world of the people that I worked with at WPTPR, especially most most of them in any place you work, there's always one or two that you go. Uh, I don't want to see them anymore, but I wanted to get that in there. And then I thought of you several years ago when the radio station I was working at was switching from country music to an oldies format. This uh, was in 2002. So it was a long time ago. So I'm, I'm going, I'm doing my research and trying to find the songs. And I came across a list of instrumentals and, uh, you and I, because the song of Am I the Same Girl by the Swing Out Sisters, we kept on go. saying, well, yeah. who? I know that tune. Why do I know that? And while I was checking out this instrumental, I found it was Soulful Strut. Right, was, right. Yeah. And I thought, and it, boy, if we'd have been connected at that point, I know right. I was going, that's the song that we, I know we I walked around for, I, I remember walking around for months trying to figure out what that song was uh -huh. I, I i didn't have it pinned down as soulful strut but i had the the song in my mind uh, -huh. uh and nobody could lots of people told me what their guess i would hum it for them for uh -huh. very poor very poorly mm -hmm. i'm sure i'm sure too. <laughs> <laughs> none of them actually uh could figure out and tell me that that was soulful strut by young holt unlimited yes yes and it's a terrific instrumental um and I finally found out what it was, and I've got a copy of it now, so everything's all good. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> but I just wanted to let you know that I have thought about you throughout the years, off and on. Uh, you know, because well, we you, did have a good time. I got to say that I'm I'm consider myself pretty knowledgeable about oldies, mm -hmm. and you're you're somebody I aspire to <laughs> reach in terms of knowledge of the oldies. Uh, you wouldn't believe how much I've studied all these old songs just so I can try to keep up with you. <laughs> well, you, you know, at the radio station I worked at when I was, when the radio station, the country station was bought and took took over by the Cash Valley Media Group, they brought me over and I was still doing country for a while until we made the switch. Then they asked me if I wanted to be on the classic rock station in the afternoon. And I can't even remember who the program director was because he left shortly thereafter. But all the time he would be coming and asking me about uh, rock and roll questions, oldies questions and stuff. And of course, being in the business since 1974 and being a big music fan before that, uh, I knew a lot of the trivia. And one day he says, you are like a PhD of rock and roll. We're going to start calling you Dr. <laughs> Dave. So for years in Cash Valley, I was Dr. Dave, the doctor of rock. There and, you go. Yeah. And I'd go, uh, the one and only the original who else would claim to be but me, the Dr. Rock. And I'd always have to explain to people that I met, well, I said, where did you come up with that name of Dr. Dave? I said, it wasn't one I gave myself. because. Are you really a doctor? Yeah, are you really a doctor? I said, yes, I, I am a doctor, but I did play one on the radio, you know, so. Yeah. But Well, listen, Dave, I've got to, I've got to give you a compliment. The okay. One thing I've well, always admired. Always, well, I I wasn't going to say this, but it's true. You were probably the best morning DJ that ever came along in this town. Oh, thank uh, you, man. You were very professional. I remember 
one of our city police officers used to tell me when I was going around on my crime rounds uh, how good he thought you were. Oh. Uh, and he later became police chief. Oh, good. And is still living here. He's retired now, but uh, uh, I still see him a lot. And he, he thought you were really good, and he liked our morning show. Well, uh, but, I thought it was what, a very good morning show. Now, the compliment I was going to give you was that I know that you – I don't know that I've ever seen anybody love their career more than you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I do You love clearly radio. knew from an early age that you wanted to be in radio, and by golly, you were going to be in radio, and you were going to be good at radio, and you were going to stay in radio for your whole life. And I did. And you did it. <laughs> so, so it, it was a great career. You. Hey, uh, yeah. I, not I, many I, people get to uh, get realize that uh, and are able to make that happen. But you did what you wanted to do, so. and I consider myself blessed that way because uh, I've, uh, you know, you, you know, like Rush Limbaugh used to say, and I don't know if you're a Rush fan, talent on loan from God, and it was more of he was saying that as more of a joke, mm -hmm. but I do believe that I was given a God-given talent, and uh, it helped me support myself over the years and led to me coming to Utah meeting my wife my first full day here in Utah uh through all the the heartaches and through all the wait wait you met her your first full day in Utah yes I left Missouri because I, I I was part of a radio station right outside of St. Louis in mid-Missouri and I left there uh and moved to Salt Lake City where my sister was and I came to visit on my first full day to Logan Utah where my old college roommate was. And he was going to let me drop off some of my stuff and store it there. And uh, his wife called up Teresa and said, come over the next day. Well, it was like 8.30 when she called her, you know. And she came over the next the next day, met that afternoon. And uh, by Thanksgiving, that was in June. I'm, I'm pretty know? sure Michael Landon was there. You know, yeah. <laughs> highway, highway to Heaven era. That yeah, must have been... It what was, set that up? <laughs> it was really cool because I was to the point where I didn't think I would ever find anybody, and she's been absolutely wonderful. I've put her through, you know what, with health health concerns, and then losing my job last year and and all that. She's been nothing but supportive, and I always I always sing her praises. So I'm singing her praises right now, and uh, I just my my life would not be near as as good as it is right now without my wife. I really do yeah. believe that, man. That's, well, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what's in the future for Ken Walker? I mean, you're getting to that age where you're maybe thought, starting to think about retirement, or is that something yeah. you've thought about? Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel so good and uh, still basically enjoy working. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy my time off, but uh, I basically enjoy working and still, and, you know, I guess I'm eyeing maybe retiring in my late sixties uh -huh. uh, and, and see what, see how things go between now and then. We've got a lot of people at the newspaper that I work at uh -huh. uh, who are all in the same age range. All right. So we've got several approaching that age where they're going to start thinking about it. And uh, I'm one of them, uh, but I'll have to make a decision for myself. But uh, I you know, in my case, it was it was the decision was taken taken away from me. You know, to be honest yeah. with you, but I would I would work I would work in radio if somebody offered me a job right now, and I could do it from home like we had talked about on the internet and all that. I would still be doing it because mm -hmm. that's how much I I lo I love uh, what I do. I mean, 
But I also tell people, work as long as you want to. You know, it, there are people that work into their 80s because they enjoy their work. And, you know, as long as you can have a good life and as long as you enjoy what you're doing, I say go for it. And the way the economy is going, maybe you have to work into your 80s. <laughs> but I won't say anything else about that, you know. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I still enjoy it for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing this job has done is allowed me to... I've never been the most outgoing person, uh -huh. uh, and this job has allowed me to meet a lot of people here in town. Uh -huh. uh, so that's one thing I enjoy about it, and I want to keep doing that. And, uh, met a lot of good people that way. Yes, so, you have. And there are yeah. a lot of good people in Paris, Tennessee, and Henry County. Well, Ken, I wanted to thank you once again for joining us on uh, Radio Guy Reflections, and, and I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed reminiscing with you and talking to you and talking about your career and going from radio into newspaper. We've had one other interview like this where a lady I worked with in mid-Missouri named Helen Davis uh, went in from radio into newspaper, but uh, hers wasn't as much reporting as what you've done over the years. And uh, I, I found it fascinating. You're a very talented writer. I know that. And I know uh, that our friendship has meant a lot to me over the years. All right. Well, I appreciate being on, Dave. And go racers, right? Go racers. <laughs> well, you take care. And, they they uh, got ahead. deprived of their chance to beat Kentucky because Kentucky lost. Uh, if Kentucky had oh. won its game, it was going to be a Murray State versus Kentucky matchup. Oh. So the joke here already is Kentucky will do anything to not play Murray. Oh, I would have <laughs> watched that one for sure. So, And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes us successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections will be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.